0: And welcome back to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are your hosts, Mitch Foster and Ando Anderson. And we're back for another week of rugby chat. So how are you, Ando?
1: Hey, I'm doing very, very well. One more week, six days from when this is recorded until rugby returns in some form. So very excited. Definitely not counting down the days. <laughs> not counting the minutes? <laughs> Something like that. Something like that.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be good. I can't wait to get some rugby back on the screen and
1: have a bit more stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. Hey, come on. We've done really well. It's been, what, two months? Two months of us blagging on about different topics. It's been fun, but I am very excited to actually get back into some real rugby. Yeah, well, at least people don't have to stop
0: listening to our thoughts and feelings on things and we can talk about. Let the rugby do the talking.
1: Yeah, we can stop saying a phrase. I guess we'll have to find out more later. Yeah. Or I guess we'll find out when more things get revealed. (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. rugby. Okay, so
0: who we are and what we do. So we're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get
1: involved.
0: So we've got some social media platforms, Ando, but I'll let you run through those ones.
1: Cool, Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, hashtag, pick, underscore, drive, underscore, rugby, and then Facebook is a really simple, pick and drive rugby podcast. So get involved, come, have a chat, leave some posts and comments, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. And it's awesome to have a bit of a community and a bit of a group of people who really just seem to enjoy listening to us, which sounds odd when I say it. But <laughs> it's great that we've got people who definitely are listening to us each week and giving us their opinions and thoughts on the different topics that we discuss. So thank you.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'd love to use those spaces as kind of forums to hear your thoughts and views Mm -hmm. on things. So definitely get involved with that and, and let us know what you're thinking about things. So this week's episode, we're going to, firstly, we're going to dive into some news that sort of happened in the last week and a bit, a little bit to talk about domestic and international. And then we're going to look at the interesting interview that came out this week by the house of rugby with Sam Burgess and some of the insights that he's revealed
1: of the failure of the England 2015 World Cup campaign it's going to be pretty good mate it's actually uh I'm not sure if you can see but as well I've got my bath rugby Jersey on uh, because Burgess was playing at Bath as well during his time in Australian, well, uh, English rugby. So I'm very, very excited for that chat. It was really insightful and gave you a bit of a sneak peek into the closed doors of the English rugby dressing room in that incredibly wonderfully disastrous 2015 rugby world cup campaign so it's good to hear well i'm not sure if it's necessarily good to hear but it's fascinating to hear some of the internal machinations from somebody who
0: really has no stake
1: in kind of um dredging up this old stuff so yeah it's just he's retired he's done from rugby and he's just venting and just putting out some of his thoughts and his experiences so it was a great listen and i'm really excited to chat about it further
0: yeah it's definitely something we're gonna we're gonna dive into a bit later um i was actually thinking as we were preparing for the pod tonight if we would see or if i would see your bath jersey and it's something (laughs) that i i we haven't really discussed it before but are they your english premiership team
1: No, if I'm being completely honest, it was free stash given to me by a teacher colleague who um, he was a sports master at my school. And he was finishing up at the school and had a whole bunch of free stash from um, our school kind of gear, but also a couple of different rugby tops. And this one fit me perfectly. And I was in the right place at the right time. And it just happens to, like, I I do follow a lot of the English premiership, um, but it just happened to fit really well. So if I was probably to choose a team, I might go Bristol or London Irish Bristol because I love the way they've been playing this season. And London Irish just because they are mostly Australian players. (laughs) Yeah, interesting you say that because my
0: teams would have been, a few years ago, would have been Harlequins. um, mm -hmm. And now that we're getting sort of 2020, same, yep. same as you, London Irish, because it's basically a, an ex-Wallabies slash Waratahs team now. There's so many of them over there. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, I've got a big soft spot for um, Exeter, mostly because they've been the perennial runners up to Saracens over the last like five or six years. So I've always wanted them to just go that one step further and to just continually knock Saracens off the top. But all the stuff that's come out over the last year about Saracens breaching the salary cap, um, has kind of explained some of the reasons for their success, and I guess I don't really need to support Exeter anymore anymore. So yeah, What well, is that a... being an Exeter sort of half fan,
0: we'll call you that? Does that make it? <laughs> yep. Does that make it any different now that the Saracens findings have come out and they've been sort of penalised for their salary cap breaches, and that, that over those years they were so close? And does that make it I easier so. or worse?
1: Oh. I'm not sure. Like, I'm okay. I'm not sure if I'm this, even a half fan, maybe a quarter fan. But <laughs> having followed them for the last couple of years, um, it is really. It just kind of taints the entire experience. It's like in Australian rug, uh, rugby league when there was the Melbourne Storm yeah um, scandals. Yeah. All the teams that came in second or lost to them in the grand finals are basically arguing. Well, like it's it's almost a bittersweet awarding of the championship in that year. And for Saracens, they didn't actually get stripped of any of their titles. They've just been massively fined and um, had uh, reductions in points, which means they've been relegated. But they didn't lose any of their championships. So for Exeter, for real Exeter fans—not not, not me—I um, imagine that it must be really hard to know that they have blatantly cheated and been found out for it, but to not have any like compensation in yeah, terms exactly. of titles or anything like that so it's not even like they know okay we know that saracen's cheated and i guess we got the premiership now so that's good but they don't even have that because saracen's didn't get stripped of anything so well i, I guess when I, I you look at for-
0: when you look at the nrl and the same similar example was with the melbourne storm when they got those uh victories taken away from them i don't i think they were just viewed as uh like an, a a Melbourne victory removal Vic sort of thing. Like it wasn't handed to the opposition as you won 2012 and 2013. The Melbourne yep. Storm just, they won, but they also, yeah, it doesn't count.
1: So it just doesn't yeah. count that year. And I mean, as a player, surely you want to be winning the big games. You want to have that experience of victory. And it must just be such a, an empty feeling to find out 12, 18, whatever, however many months it is after the event that, oh, I guess I did win that season. <laughs> like, we did win that final. We are, we are the champions. Like, it must be such a hollow feeling. Yeah, it'd be weird. Have walked off the field, tasted defeat, have to go through that whole process of losing the grand final, and then to be told some lengthy amount of time later, oh, no, actually, you are the champions that year. It, I don't know. That must be so challenging as a player to actually wrap your head around.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty random, but, um, yeah, interesting to see that they didn't do that with the English Premier League. Yeah,
1: yeah. Anyway, that's enough blagging on about yeah. stuff that we weren't planning on talking about. That's good fun. <laughs> All
0: right, so let's, uh, let's dive into the first
1: topic this week, which will be the spicy news update. Let's do it. All right, we move now to our spicy, spicy news. And there's a fair few things for us to be covering this week, but we'll just start off with a pretty quick recap. Mitch, when does rugby return around the world at this point?
0: All right. So we've got New Zealand kicking off next week, June 13th, for their Aratora. Ara ara I don't know how to say it. But um, their New Zealand domestic comp will be kicking off June 13th, next sat- Saturday tra- night. Australia will be back on July 3rd, hopefully. Fingers crossed. This hasn't been officially confirmed yet. Um, we're still waiting on uh, the broadcasters to agree with that. So, But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, then we've got the English Premiership coming up on the fifteenth of August, and the top fourteen in France is coming on the fourth uh, of September.
1: Pretty good news, we got those back. and just for anybody that cares about the english premiership, um there has been the confirmation that newcastle falcons who are who were easily miles ahead in the um in the championship, so the level below the premiership, they are getting promoted back up into the premiership, and Saracens, as we mentioned earlier, have, been relegated so that's the news of what's happening there so
0: um that, will that be so happening on the
1: 15th uh will what be happening will that be happening oh they've already that's already happened so newcastle already aware that they're up and they oh yeah because it's a restart of the season
0: yeah so it's a resumption of 2019 yeah, no, 20
1: season fin- so finish up the season um so you'll still have newcastle in the championship and Southampton. In the premiership for now yeah, cool. all right they have just confirmed that whatever happens um newcastle is getting promoted and saracens are being relegated cool awesome now domestic now the main piece of news with domestic is the restructuring of rugby australia now this actually came out on monday the day after we recorded last week so we weren't able to mention it at the time but um we had Some rumors going around that this restructuring was going to be happening. So 47 out of 142 full-time staff. So just, uh, actually, no, it is basically a third of the full-time staff have been made redundant and will be leaving their roles over the coming months as the JobKeeper um, subsidies start to phase out. Now there's, in addition to that, casual and contract staff have all been terminated. That was around 30 or so. And what this actually totals is a $5.5 million saving in wage bills um, over what well, per annum. So that's huge. Yeah, that's massive. It's a big cut. Yeah, very big cut. And that's only the first stage. So um, the second stage was... So the first stage was just dealing with RA, uh, employment and RA structures. The second stage is looking to the alignment between state and territory govern- governance governance mm-hmm. and then rugby australia governance to try and make sure that there aren't overlaps in different roles and seeing whether or not they can be trimming the fat from basically employment or um what's the right word? yeah different roles to try and save money and go well number one we're like floundering financially as is but then number two how can we best be reallocating this funding
0: Yeah, there definitely would, I would imagine that there's a few roles that would be overlapping between the States and Rugby Australia. It'd be Mm. interesting to see how many cuts do come through. Considering at this this current stage, they are sort of private entities and they're not owned by Rugby Australia, but they are sort of overseen by them.
1: Yep. One of the things I've kind of noticed and an example of it is there is only one journalist who's actually writing for Rugby Australia um so oh is it beth beth newman is her name and she all the rugby australia articles are always written by beth newman and absolutely nobody else is appearing anymore and um this in this is not a pot shot at her but i've noticed that over the last few weeks they've obviously been cutting off um and cutting back on kind of the roles and the amount of work that people are doing in their roles um there's been a lot more typos and oh, basically put up on Rugby australia yeah i
0: guess there's no um, one um proofreading the articles anymore yeah,
1: yeah they probably don't have people to proofread articles and so when you're the one writing it little mistakes come through that you miss even when you read it out and check it um so that's just one really simple example of obviously Whoops. how some of these financial challenges are impacting ra that they obviously don't have anyone doing the proofreading or the quality assurance well, they,
0: they do still have their rugby nations podcast series yeah. coming through yeah. so they still have um sean maloney and i can't remember the other host's name sorry it's escaped me but um okay. yeah so they've still got those two on the books but i'm not sure what official role they they take because they're not they're not putting out any articles
1: yeah they probably wouldn't be full-time anyway so Hmm,
0: interesting. Very mm. interesting. I mean, yep. it, it'll be, It's. I guess we'll never know what the staff numbers were prior to the ones that got cut and what yep. the, um what they were actually doing and where they've trimmed them down. But it's, yeah, it's, it should be interesting to see how the organization goes now or moves forward from this pandemic.
1: Yep. Now, that actually ties in pretty closely to the next piece of news in that Dave Rennie, the incoming Wallabies coach, is going to be taking a 30% pay cut. Now, that's not that surprising. It means that he is basically just falling into line with the other executives at RA. So, I mean, good on him. That's good. Um, It shows a level of solidarity with everything that's happening in Australian rugby. And I think there was some talk that maybe he wouldn't need to because his contract didn't start until June, which was after when all these agreements had been made. So he wasn't kind of bound to follow the lead that other people had. But he's done what would seem like a logical, reasonable, and in a way kind of, uh, I'm not sure if noble is the right word, but he's doing the right thing, if we're to say right thing, with kind of bunny ears. So (laughs) good on him. Um, Any thoughts, comments on that? Uh, Yeah,
0: it's a good thing that he's taken it. Um, I don't know if it was sort of offered to him or sort of told that that's what his contract was (laughs) now going to be. But they've they've put it in a good light. So it it does look like he's done it voluntarily. So we guess we'll take it at face value and we'll say good on you, Dave Rennie. (laughs) Starting (laughs) off on the right foot. Yep.
1: Did you want to talk about the next point?
0: Yeah, so Rugby Australia has come out this week and said that all Super Rugby players that are going to be participating in the domestic competition will no longer be able to play club rugby due to new strict biosecurity measures so i think it's it's causing a quite a bit of interest in the rugby commu- in the club rugby community that the super rugby nice. players and the extended squad members will not be able to go back and play club rugby if they're not
1: making sort of the match day 32 mm-hmm. um, yeah so Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. i guess it kind of makes sense in a way because what you're wanting to do they're probably just wanting to silo the super rugby players and to be limiting the opportunities for exposure to covid by basically saying okay if you're playing for the tars the brumbies the rebels the reds or the force then you have to stay in those little bubbles in those training facilities and then we know who you've been into contact with but if they were to go to suburban club rugby Then that's opening up a whole new point of connection, interaction, or contact with people that they could get sick from. And if they get sick, then uh, does that mean that the the whole like they just complicate? Yeah, the whole sport. Um, It It
0: it makes sense what they're doing, and that that is where they're coming from. That they're trying Mm -hmm. to reduce the spread, particularly at the current time when the borders are still closed, and a club, sort of the state club competitions, are going to be played internally like locally within Sydney or within Canberra or within Melbourne. So these super rugby players will be exposed to the players from other teams from other States. um, And they're just sort of restricting that bubble to the team. They've also said that these rules will apply to managers and uh, official staff as well. So the referees, the uh, match day doctors and the sort of match managers will also be confined only to the domestic super rugby competition and not, going back to club rugby either
1: yeah okay so one of the things i was just looking at um it got me thinking is well actually there's not many states that still have their borders closed i know the major talking point is queensland has their border closed um what are the reds going to do and so i was just thinking well if they if they're traveling down to new south wales then how how are they doing that Um, well the
0: nrl's already open
1: has allowed that yeah
0: So So I think they just have to put in
1: applications with um, Queensland health department and get permission from them. So it's possible. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I was just thinking that as you were talking. Yeah. 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 The The other thing,
0: the next bit of news comes from potential rule changes that have been proposed by Rugby Australia. At this stage, they're only been proposed and we haven't got any confirmation whether they're going to go ahead, but Article by Georgina Robinson in the Sydney Morning Herald has outlined three rules that are sort of the the front front runners for these rule changes. They are going to be number one goal line dropouts, help for when a ball is held up over the line. Um, Number two, 50-22 kicks. So if you kick the
1: ball from the 40-20 in NRL,
0: yeah, exactly. So if you kick the ball out from within your 22 and it goes out in the opposition half, you get the line out. Mm-hmm. And number three is a 20-minute red card time limit. So if you've, done, if you've been given a red card, you can be subbed within 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, correct. But the, 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 the player who receives the red card is out of the exactly. game for the rest of yep. the match. However, he can be replaced after 20 minutes. And I think that I'm not too fussed about the other two. I like the idea that held up over the line is actually the defender's ball. Yeah. Um, I like that idea because you should be rewarded for holding them up over the line. But I think the 20-minute red card is probably the best out of all three of them because you see that in some games where a red card is given, for justifiably, is given in the first like 20 minutes of the game and it just ruins the rest of the game. It does, yeah. Um, so having 20-minute consequence, I think, is, is reasonable. And if your team's not good enough to... Um, to capitalize on them being a man down for 20 minutes and maybe you don't deserve to win the match. So yeah, I think that's a really good option. I hope that that actually is introduced and it's not just a proposal that fizzles out.
0: Yeah. it will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing too, that number one, the goal line dropout will potentially have some negative effects for us being the pick and, pick and drive rugby podcast because <laughs> it will effectively eliminate the pick and drive sort of, product within
1: within a score close to the game close to the within kind of the 5-10 meter attacking line yeah um, so it's, um, as hopefully a team, we'll still see some open field pick and driving
0: yeah we'll have to we'll keep our fingers crossed <laughs> uh, <laughs> last <laughs> point we've got as well this comes la. this was officially announced last week um it was announced after we recorded the pod but the sunwolves have definitely been to dec- or well, they've They've been barred from entering Australia by the Australian government, so they will not be taking part in the domestic competition. And it looks like we have unfortunately seen the last of this outfit.
1: Yep. So sad news. Sad. They had fantastic supporter base. Um, They didn't really perform that well, but their supporter base was fantastic, and they had quite a attacking flair to the way that they played rugby, which was entertaining to watch, even if it rarely resulted in many victories.
0: Yeah. So it's a shame that we won't see them anymore. But hopefully in the future, we can have some form of Japanese involvement within Super mm-hmm. Rugby or a Super Rugby product.
1: Yep. Well, let's move on then into the international scene. So um, this kind of crosses domestic international, at least the next two, next couple do. Um, firstly, you remember our conversation about the three Reds players who've had their contracts torn up after refusing to agree to the... um deal reduction of their pay so that was isaac lucas um isaac Rodder and harry hawkins as well now isaac lucas there's a story going around that he's been um sounded out by a bunch of european teams in a pro 14 and a premiership particularly glasgow edinburgh munster and then in a premiership is bath so go on (laughs) um now, it's fascinating. I was reading up about this. And so, so the incumbent fly half at Bath is Freddie Burns. And he's actually going to be moving on. Um, he This article that I was reading was saying that a bunch of players had been sounded out to join Bath at the wreck, which is the name of their um, home ground, okay. And they'd all declined. And I just find it fascinating that you're getting a bunch of top players that are declining to go play at Bath, considering they actually have a really, really good lineup, and they have for a while, but they are perennial underperformers. Yeah. So, I just wonder if when we get to this, if some of Sam Burgess's comments about team culture and stuff like that may actually have an element of truth. But regardless, Isaac Lucas may well be going to Europe, and all the teams that are interested in him, so Glasgow, Edinburgh, and Munster, are all very good teams, and Bath is in the top half of the Premiership, so... Yeah. It's, it looks like he's getting some good interest in him joining one of the teams it'd be interesting to see where he signs yeah hopefully he yeah. gets a lot of game time as well because you want him to develop like even if we have issues with him leaving we want him yeah. to go well
0: do we have any news on the other two
1: i haven't heard anything though no
0: okay well all the best isaac and hopefully you you sign a good for a good team and
1: you get some game time yeah hopefully and come back in a couple of years a much a um, more experienced player who can carve it up in whatever. Yeah, well-rounded player. Be good. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, now this, this
1: one we texted each other throughout the week. Why don't you introduce
0: it? Yeah, this is uh this is probably the news of the week. This has got the rugby world in sort of shock when this first was announced. So Dan Carter is returning to Super Rugby, but not to who you would think. So he's not coming back to the Crusaders. He's signed on with the Auckland Blues.
1: Shock horror the perennial underperformers of new zealand rugby get one of the best new zealand rugby players of all time
0: i can't when this was first announced i just had no i had i could not foreseeably understand how this happened The the facts that have come out afterwards make a lot more sense but when i first saw it i was like surely this is a joke this has to be photoshop or
1: something (laughs) it wasn't april so we couldn't blame it on that
0: yeah so Dan Carter, 38 years old, has been signed as injury replacement for Steven uh, Perofeta. Is that how you pronounce his last name?
1: Good enough attempt for me.
0: Yeah, that'll do. Uh, Who has a fractured foot. So he was playing... Yeah, go. You you
1: go.
0: go. go. I was going to say, he was playing earlier this year with the Kobelco Steelers in Japan. um, But with the league shutting down and sort of being paused until next year, he found himself off contract and had nowhere to go was back in Auckland living in New Zealand or back in New Zealand living in Auckland um, and sort of the opportunity arise and that's how he's now playing with the Blues being that he's now living in Auckland.
1: Yeah. So he's got family and I think it's three kids living in Auckland. So the thing that really attracted him to it from what I've been reading and hearing kind of quotes from him is that he really likes the idea of being able to go and train and play on the majority of weekends and then go home to his family that night and spend the night at home, which is a very simple but laudable reason for his signing for the Blues. Um, Also, I think there's been a lot of comments talking about how he's really not making, like it's not a big money signing at all. Um, He's played something like six games in the last 18 months because of a couple of injuries that he's been carrying and um, the lockdown or the shutdown of the Japanese league. So he's very unlikely to be playing in the round one of the competition and will most likely be kind of brought on as a substitute player over the, the two, three, four rounds.
0: Yeah, well, considering this was announced only a few days ago and the competition is kicking off next week, it would mm. be, it'd be unexpected for him to be playing. But yep. if you look at the lineup they've got now, so you've got Ioane on the wing, yep. Dan Carter potentially at 10, and then Bowdoin Barrett out the back at 15. What a backline!
1: I mean, considering that Bowdoin Barrett hasn't actually played for the Blues yet yeah. this year. So he signed for them, but then had his kind of sabbatical time off after the World Cup, which a few of the um, all-black players got. He hadn't played a game before the lockdown started. So... Injecting him and Dan Carter into the new Blues team, when they actually have some really good players as is, will be really exciting to watch. And unfortunately, it just means the New Zealand competition gets better and better. Um, And when it comes time for us to play them again, that might be a bit of a challenge. It'll be interesting to see how much game
0: time he actually gets and whether his role is more of a sort of like a coach player. Yep. just sort of take on some of the younger blokes and give them a bit of experience and um, sort of mentor them up through the ranks and so they're a bit more confident
1: it reminds me of an interview i was listening to with matt Guido. So Matt Gitto broke into the Wallabies team and played for the Wallabies before he'd even played for the Brumbies. Yeah. And he was saying about some of his development as a player at the Brumbies was because he, he was playing alongside Stephen Larkin and George Griggan and George Smith. And he had these top-notch players who he was just learning from week in, week out, which is why he came to be one of our best 12s. And was such a good player, even when he moved overseas and went to Toulon. He was one of the top European players for four or five years. And just the development that people can have under stars of the game like Dan Carter is just, you can't really define it. Or Mm. uh, quantify it, yeah. And so I, I'm very envious of the entire Blues setup for the opportunity they have now to learn from Dan Carter. So it's a great signing. It's a great idea, and I just look forward to seeing him play, even if it's for maybe 15 minutes a game, just to kind of close out a match or something like that. Well, his kicking ability alone would be worth the money. Hmm. Well, Bowden Barrett's in a team as well. Oh, I guess out of hand, yeah. But Bowden Barrett, awesome. Six two. Yeah, no, it'll
0: be great. It'll be uh going forward as well. This open this definitely opens the door for Dan Carter to enter into the sort of the coaching side of things. Yeah. So it could be a win-win for the blues having him on as a player and then in the future opening that up as a coaching role as
1: well. Yeah. Well, um with seeing as we're talking about new zealand they for their competition have a few law changes as well um one of them is again the red card being replaced after 20 minutes the other point is golden point so they are introducing a league style system where if the game is tied at the end of the match then there's 10 minutes of golden point. so the first team to score probably from a drop goal, you would be expecting, would be able to uh, win the game. And also, yeah, then the third uh, change was a stricter application of breakdown laws in order to stop the slowing down of rocks so that you have a faster game overall. Although I imagine in the first couple of weeks, it's just going to be a lot more penalties called at the rock. But maybe as players adapt, they'll get used to it and that will result in the game. So what, what this one focuses on, and
0: this isn't actually really a, a change of laws, it's more of a um, change of approach of the refereeing of the breakdown. Yeah, so they're now going to be looking more at the offside line. There's yep. going to be a stronger impact on making sure players are onside and that you need mm-hmm. to be clearly onside now. So it's not going to be if it's if it's marginal and if you're potentially offside, they're going to call yep. it offside. They want yeah, okay. the players to be making the effort to be back onside. Close enough isn't good enough anymore.
1: Well, it might just stop the rush defence um, that has always just been hovering on offside or offside and most of the time really is offside. So yep. it'll hopefully just provide players with a little bit more room to move and for the attacking line to actually get over the advantage line rather than just being swamped time after time.
0: I find the first uh, rule that they've brought in the golden point to be really quite funny.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Why? In that it just stems out of the, uh, personally, I think it stems out of the British and Irish lions series that at the end of it, they're, just, <laughs> they're still like, well, we, we haven't got anything. They're still so hurt by that draw that they, they want to bring in some kind of way of around it because I mean, in rugby, it doesn't—you don't really get the draws very often. Yep. Yep. we don't yep. see that hardly ever. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how often this happens, and how many I golden think, points we yeah. go to.
1: I don't know. It's not—I can't even think of any ties in the first like Super Rugby this year. I can't think of any drawn matches. No, um, it's very—it's very—it's not very often that they happen. So. Well, why don't we move on? Um, the final piece of news that I just wanted to touch on is a really great feel-good story. Um, you may or may not know this player, Michael Fatialofa. He was a Hurricanes player who, he's a lock, was playing for Worcester over in England. He broke his neck in a game on the 4th of January against Saracens and was basically pa- paralysed for, um, and the, there were concerns that he would never walk again, mm. that kind of yeah. He's been in hospital for the last five months and he's just been in the last couple of days discharged from hospital and whilst he is he didn't kind of walk out of the hospital he has um, his wife's put a bunch of stuff up on kind of Instagram and on his Instagram showing him with sometimes with assistance sometimes on his own being able to make some progress and walk. Uh, on his own for short lengths and short periods of time which was pretty miraculous. I thought um, he did walk out of hospital. Maybe maybe he did this article I didn't it wasn't talking it didn't show me that he right. walked out of hospital. No I, I saw
0: something on Instagram that he did actually walk out of hospital.
1: Brilliant. Well that's yeah. even better and yeah. that is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just incredible watching him progress on Instagram. Um, and watching him just continue to work so incredibly hard to regain his functions, just really inspirational, particularly yeah. the way that he's supporting him to and being that encouragement and kind of rock beside him has been wonderful. So it's a really good feeling, feel good story.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's really inspirational. We wish him all the best on his future recovery as he goes up
1: onwards and upwards from here. Yep, looking forward to it. Um, That's it for the news, mate. So why don't we wrap it up and then move on to Sam Burgess and the drama that he has brought down upon rugby.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Let's get into it. So now we move to the, the main topic for this evening of this podcast this week, which is the recent episode of House of Rugby in which they were joined by rugby league and rugby union player Sam Burgess. So there's been a bit of controversy in this episode that Sam Burgess came out and has revealed some interesting points and bits of information about his time in rugby union, particularly with Bath and also going into the England 2015 World Cup squad. So lots to talk about. Uh, We'll get into it now. Um, Before we sort of dive into the specifics though, what were your general
1: general thoughts around this episode, Ando? I um I really really enjoyed it. The House of Rugby has been coming out with some great interviews recently, so it's just been wonderful to hear just the insights of somebody who was in the camp in that year. Because um, there's there's always a lot of pressure around English sport. So when whenever the ashes are on, the English press are incredibly critical about the cricket team. And then when the Rugby World Cup comes around, they are incredibly critical about the rugby team. And so with everything that was happening under the coach, Stuart Lancaster, they didn't have particularly amazing Six Nations campaigns in the lead up to this. They came second basically every year in the preceding two, three years. Um, There was just this huge and huge amount of pressure uh, hoisted upon Stuart Lancaster. And that was made even more so when, um, when Sam Burgess came across after winning the premiership with South Sydney Rabbitohs in Australia in 2014 and he made the move over to yeah in NRL um to rugby um rugby union in the UK playing first for Bath and then kind of he wasn't in the interview he says that he did have a conversation with Stuart Lancaster who said that he was interested in having Burgess involved with the um England national team but obviously he's never going to guarantee anything and so he'd have to just get to Bath see how things go from there um, so he was playing for Bath ends up playing for England as well and he when you look at a lot of the media that came out uh during the World Cup particularly after their loss to Wales and then after they got absolutely slammed against Australia which we talked about a few weeks back um, he was he was the scapegoat for the failure of English rugby at the 2015 World Cup. So this is kind of him getting his say and getting his opportunity just a few years after, now that he's retired, now that he doesn't have any skin in the game anymore, um, him basically just providing his perspective. And a bit of a limited one. He did pull a few punches. He didn't, he didn't throw everything. He did choose to not name some names. But it was um, really, really insightful.
0: Yeah, it was. It was good we got the kind of a different look into the team and into the sort of leadership of the 2015 uh, World Cup that we haven't really Mm -hmm. seen before. And it definitely opened up some avenues That kind of, I think a lot of people were wondering why the team didn't perform as well as they probably should have in that tournament, particularly considering it was, uh, they were the host nations um, but for if what Sam Burgess says in this interview is to be believed, it does definitely seem like there was a—it's um, probably not an
1: accurate approach to the leadership and the the game plan. Yeah, yeah. And I think what would be helpful is providing listeners with a bit of context because maybe your focus is on Australian rugby, yep. and you aren't too aware of some of the broader um, players involved. So. Okay, if you're an Australian rugby fan, you will know Sam Burgess because you're in the Australian sporting landscape. So he was the captain of the South Sydney Rabbitohs, played with them for a very long time, was a bit of like a superstar of the NRL Mm -hmm. and won won the... uh, You're knocking your mic just so you know, my friend. Um, (laughs) All good. So he basically won the premiership with the Rabbitohs and then moved back to England then went to Bath, who was being coached at the time by Mike Ford. Okay, so Mike Ford is a Bath coach. Mike's son, George, is the... He's playing. he's I think he was playing at Leicester at the time. At least he's playing at Leicester now. Um, and he was the England number 12. And then you also have Stuart Lancaster, who was the English head coach. So those are the kind of the three main players that he... Or people that he kind of talks about... Um, yeah, I think um, I think George Ford was playing at Bath at the time as well. Was he? I think so. No, no, he wasn't because um, he was talking about how uh, Sam Burgess was talking about how um, the English setup wanted him to be playing in the centres, but he didn't want um, to be pushing out Jamie Joseph or another player who I've forgotten the name of, unless George Ford was playing number ten at the time. Um, but. Um, I, yeah, yeah I I'm know. not too sure, but from what from what from the way that Sam was talking, it did
0: sound like he was a little bit more uh, familiar with George, and that their relationship turned quite negative in the lead up to that Wales game. Um,
1: so it was I after I, the Wales game particularly, which was the problem, yeah, um, because uh, Sam replaced him in the starting lineup. Yeah. So I, I thought that they were playing together; they were
0: teammates at Bath, uh, but they may not may not have been. I'm not sure when where um george was playing you are totally correct
1: well done he definitely was playing at bath he must have been playing Ah. number 10 well done yes (laughs) just looked it up as we were talking okay cool so basically um that's some of the context now i just want to read out this original tweet um so a lot of the drama that came um sam burgess's way he stayed close mouthed on he didn't speak anything about it, didn't say anything to any of the media after he left Rugby Union at the end of the 2015 World Cup. He went back to playing rugby league um, and went to the Rabbitohs again. And so this tweet came out uh, in November 27th in 2018. So obviously well before the 2019 Rugby World Cup. I seem to be getting a few tweets regarding Rugby World Cup in 2015 still. If people actually rewatch the games I participated in, you'll see I added to the team. What cost us an early exit? This is a juicy part. (laughs) What cost us an early exit was individual egos and selfish players not following our leader, which essentially cost the coach and other great men their jobs. Tournaments are not won by the coaching staff or one player. It takes a commitment from the full group. I guarantee you this. I was committed, but others had their own agendas. I have fond memories of my time in rugby union and some great friends. One day I'll tell my side of the story. But for now, I love watching England and can cannot wait to see them as they prepare for the 2019 World Cup in Japan. Oof. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when that came out, it was uh, pretty inflammatory and showed that there's obviously a lot more behind the scenes. And rugby union players, you don't really get these type of exposes or this drama that really comes about. Um, no, so, you don't. It, I just wonder if his experience in rugby league, which is, he, he was even saying it, that he he speaks directly to a problem, yes. and if there's an issue, even if he's wrong about what he's saying, he'll still say something, and then if he's wrong, they can argue it out and just get to an understanding. Yes. Um, so he's obviously a very direct and blunt player, and I imagine that could rub people up the wrong way, particularly with the kind of playboy or star power that he brought um, being like best friends with Russell Crowe talking about going to nightclubs and parties with like Leonardo DiCaprio, Beyonce, Jay-Z, blah, blah, Taylor blah.
0: Swift, all those kind of people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I imagine that that would have been pretty challenging as teammates of him to come in, but yeah, I just wonder if his context means that he's willing to say things that other people aren't willing to say. He definitely alluded to the fact that, Uh, The cultures of the two clubs that he was involved with,
0: so Bath and then the England Rugby World Cup team, was completely different to anything that he had been in before. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that comes from the rugby league, as as you said, the rugby league background, or um, just the Sydney, the um, South Sydney Rabbitohs sort of uh, environment. But yeah, or just his own personality as well. Yeah, well, his personality profile. He does seem like he is quite forward. And the things that he was saying in the interview. Although at the same time, he did come across quite well um, in not sort of throwing people under the bus and being quite respect- uh, respectful of keeping some players and some of his sort of relationships a little bit more
1: uh, positive and not saying the wrong things yeah. about certain people. The and only he- person he was outwardly negative about was Mike Ford. And even with his comments about George Ford, he pr- he kind of said... So, basically, one of these things about George Ford was that um, when he, Sam Burgess, replaced or was picked ahead of George for the number 12 spot against in the second pool game at the World Cup against Wales, yes, Wales. which ended up losing, um, George Ford refused to speak to him after the game and the whole relationship and dynamic changed and they, he basically wouldn't talk to Sam anymore. Um, but he he does say that he understands that George would have found that hard. Yep. And that he was a young, twenty-one-year-old, twenty-one-year-old per- man um, who may have just struggled to process that stuff, mm-hmm. and like, he, so he does kind of tr- try to almost put himself in George's shoes, rightly or wrongly. And so the only person that he really, you can tell, he just has no time for is Mike Ford.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. One thing I wanted to talk about, but was uh, with that Wales game, I don't remember Mm -hmm. too much around the teams and who was playing, but Sam Burgess was starting 12. Was he replaced by George Ford? Yep. So George Ford did replace him in that game? Yep. Okay, because he did say some particular things that the reason that they didn't win that game was because of the people that came on and replaced him. (laughs) He was saying that they had they had established a lead and he said, we didn't, I didn't need to be replaced. The players that were out there on the field did, were there and we could have won the game with 10 minutes to go. There was a, a tactical substitution and they lost the game. And he yeah. said, he's gone back and watched it again recently. The only time he's ever watched that game again. And he said, he just couldn't understand how they lost that, how they lost that game. So, yeah, so- that, um, that's quite a big shot at George Ford there.
1: Mm. I mean, he doesn't—he doesn't outwardly say it, but yeah, you're right. Reading between the pretty obvious lines, um, he's critiquing it. I mean, the uh, Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast did a review of that very game last okay. week or yeah. before, and they were saying the exact same thing—that England bottled it big time. That they should have won the game, and they actually went back and, um, as they were watching, they they focused on Sam Burgess as they were watching, and they clearly said. He didn't do anything. He, he made no major mistakes. Yeah, and the the loss in no way was attributed attributable to Sam Burgess. In fact, it was Brad Barrett who was thirteen that missed the tackle that led to the final Welsh try that won in the game. Um, it, and Brad Barrett. Yeah. So basically, it wasn't Sam Burgess's fault. Yep.
0: What were you going to say? I was just going to ask for a bit of a refresher about what happened and why they lost that game because I can't remember the specifics.
1: Yeah, well I haven't just, gone back and watched You just, the game you just
0: said it. So they let in a try in the last few minutes of the game. Yep. And that's how they lost.
1: Yeah, and it was kind of like in the outside backs channel um, which had had a bit of shuffling around uh, after his substitution. So um, it's a pretty fair enough comment to say that you shouldn't have changed me because changing the defensive structure with different players coming on in the last 10 minutes of the game as such a tight part of it yeah. is risky and obviously that risk didn't pay off exactly mm.
0: Mm. now the next um, thing, the next big point yeah. that he sort of was the reason that he had this interview and what he wanted to say was that he believes that mike ford who was his coach at the time at bath and was was he attack coach in England.
1: Uh, Not at that point, no. He wasn't involved in English rugby at that point.
0: No, he was. Surely he was involved at some point.
1: Mike Ford. Yeah, wasn't he involved in the World Cup? No, Mike Ford was the defence coach of England for the 2006 World Cup um, and then the 2010 World Cup but okay. he didn't have his contract renewed and then was a head coach of Bath up until 2016. So he okay. wasn't involved in English rugby for the 2015. So the way,
0: that, the way that Sam was talking in this interview, and that was another point that I was going to mention, was there was certain times in this interview that I found it very confusing as to what was going on. Being an outsider, mm-hmm. being an Aussie person, who's not too involved with the who's and the what's and the when's and the why's of English rugby. But having yep. James Haskell as one of the hosts of the the podcast as well, they had this sort of back and forth around who they were talking about, but they wouldn't name it. They both yes. kind of knew who was being mentioned. I'm seeing them going, what are they talking about? They,
1: well, they, that's part hey. of the thing. Haskell obviously shares opinions yep. with Murgis about players in the English rugby team from the 2015 World Cup who were divisive, who for lack of a, better word were toxic to the culture um but haskell still has skin in the game like he's still a pretty big figure within the rugby community yeah. even after his retirement so he's obviously choosing not to talk about it yeah. because he doesn't want to burn contacts and burn bridges with different oh, definitely yeah. clubs so there were points where they were saying things and you could just see because i mean you can watch it on youtube because they um record the interviews as well yeah. um you can just watch it and they've just got knowing smiles at different points where you're like okay there's there's a lot of subtext that you two know about that you are not going to be talking about on air that's right
0: yeah yeah so i found that a little bit challenging but Mm. the way they were talking particularly around mike Ford, was that well i thought that um he was part of the coaching setup at england at the time
1: no no so he was the head of bath
0: yes i did know he was his coach at bath and he does go on to say that he thought that um Mike was heavily pushing to take over Lancaster as the coach of England mm-hmm. after the World Cup because he yep. did he also did say in an interview that the reason he was subbed in that in that Welsh game was um Mike and George both wanted or Mike wanted George to play in the game so that's why yep. they 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 subbed him but if he's not involved in the the um the coaching and he's not involved in the management team of English rugby, how does his opinion get pushed so far forward that they make that, that they do that? that Yeah. And that's a really good question. That's what I was confused about.
1: Yeah. And I think what you've pointed there is probably a weakness within what he um, kind of put out there in this, this connection that he's making between Mike Ford and particularly that replacement decision in the Wales yeah. game. Um, George Ford was one of the kind of star outside halves within the kind of British rugby setup. Yeah. So it was a bit of a controversial decision. But, but you also need to remember, it was also controversial, not just because George Ford uh, isn't in the starting team and he's been replaced by Sam Burgess, but Burgess had played basically no rugby yeah. at 12. He had been playing at six for Bath under Mike Ford, um, because they already had good players in the team at 12 or 13, and they needed him at six. And so that's why it was particularly controversial, Sam Burgess coming in and playing at 12, was because the fact that he hadn't really played much rugby there at all. And so why are you choosing a player with a lack of experience for a massively important knockout, not knockout game, a massively important game within the World Cup? Well, it essentially led to a knockout game, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, which we smashed
0: them in. (laughs) How good! Yeah, no, it it was. It's interesting listening to his perspective in this interview, because he obviously has that self belief that he was good enough to be there, and he, you know, he'd won all these. He'd won. um, He'd just come off a victory with South Sydney, and and he was an inspirational leader to that team, and all those kinds of things. But he'd been in the game for a number of months, maybe a year at most when yeah. he came over and to push into the the national team and then to be starting at twelve, it was really unusual. I was surprised I can remember being surprised when the World Cup was going on at the time that he was even included yep. in the squad.
1: Yeah. Let alone yeah. to
0: be saying that he was involved in the the leadership team, that he was better and should have been there over George Ford. Uh there's a few things that just came out in this interview that I just think, oh, I don't know yeah, how that was what-
1: in his defence, he never, from, from what I recall of the interview, he never said, I was better than George Ford, so I should have been the starting 12th and should have stayed there for the whole game. What he was critiquing was the timing of the change and then the later accusations yeah. loss was because of him and errors that he made. Um, so that was more of the point. And- but he did make it one point. He did say
0: that in the 33-man squad that they named for the World Cup, out of all of the English players and all the premiership players, there was four centres yep. that, that were chosen, and he was one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. But his point in making that was that was a controversial decision for him to be one of them. He was saying that that was a point of controversy and just mm, built a few points of tension because he was so new to the game and hadn't played much because he'd been playing six at bath. Mm. Now move one of the one of the key we we've we've touched on it, but I think it's good to just clearly say. Yeah. I think the most the, the stuff with George Ford is really secondary. Yeah. Um, it it's not really the main point of what he's talking about. The main issue or the main point of controversy that he brings up is the fact, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, was that Mike Ford was deliberately undermining Stuart Lancaster in order to get the position as England coach. Mm. And according to Burgess, that happens in a couple of ways. Number one, it seems to be because um, George Ford, so Mike's son, was obviously speaking with his father and maybe had kind of some of the same ideas or beliefs and was, had this negative attitude towards Sam Burgess and that infiltrated the culture of the team. That's kind of one point that he makes about that. But the main point that he makes is he recognises that he as a player attracts media attention. Um, he's a high-profile player. His story and his rise to being an England rugby team is a uh, kind of front story front front paper front page of the paper story yeah and basically mike ford keeps talking about him in news art, in um interviews and in um conversations with journalists when he's the head of bath and he's talking about oh i think um he should be playing in this position um sam burgess yeah sam i was talking to him the other day and he said that he really preferred this And Burgess is saying, no, I didn't talk to you about this. Stop saying, I'm saying these things. And he supposedly called Mike Ford multiple times and said, stop talking about me. I'm not saying these things. And all you're doing is adding fuel to kind of the drama and stories that are going around. And yet he continued to do it. And I think that point, that point probably, I haven't gone back and looked at the actual, um, interviews and comments that he specifically said but that would be a pretty easy thing to fact check and if that's the case then that says a lot about mike ford yeah it does
0: particularly around the whole position positional thing yeah so at the time it uh sam burgess had been named as playing 12 for england and he was Mm. coming out and deliberately saying to the media uh, i've spoken with sam and he's he's loving playing in Bath and he, but he wants to play six long-term. So he's not playing 12. He wants to be playing six and that's where he should be playing for England. Um, and mm-hmm. he, he wants to stay with Bath for the rest of his career. That was some of the things that Sam was saying. And Sam, and Burgess was just like, what are you saying, mate? I haven't spoken to you at all. I've been in yep. lockdown with the English squad. Like you can't be saying these things. And he just yep. kept doing it and doing it and doing it. So it definitely does show that, that he was trying to undermine the, leadership and the, the coaching of the English team and particularly he was using Sam um, as, a,
1: as a tool to get what he wanted. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating because you look at, so Stuart Lancaster was basically along with um, Sam Burgess crucified metaphorically after the failure of England at the Rugby World Cup. And he was, um, he announced his resignation basically immediately afterwards and has actually gone on to join the Leinster, Leinster Rugby and has been killing it as a senior coach there and supposedly has just been doing an absolutely incredible job as coach. Now, before he became England coach, he'd actually been um, a part of the RFU and had been involved in kind of the development squad, like the England Saxons team. So he was a really, really good um, developmental player. So sorry, this, some people... Is this
0: Mike that you're talking about?
1: No, this is Stuart Lancaster, sorry. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. so Stuart Lancaster has this experience now at Leinster and prior to his England head coach role with the England Saxons, which is like their under-21s team. And so there's... A couple of streams of thought. Number one, he's not actually as bad a coach as the 2015 World Cup makes him out to be. Number two, maybe he's a bit better at developing players rather than being the head coach of a national team. Um, But he's definitely not as bad as the World Cup makes him out to be. So then why were things so bad? Well, this story seems to be pointing towards cultural issues and different political agendas at play that were undermining the authority the influence and the opportunity had to mold the team to what he wanted
0: yeah there's some particularly towards the end of the podcast there was some interesting chat between james haskell and sam Burgess as to the leadership of the england team at that time it was a Mm. really interesting story that haskell goes on to talk about about um being sort of invited to an english leadership meeting a few days after just joining the camp and yep. um he played that weekend and he was tired and he was sore and he got forced to sit up the front of the room and he on was on a crappy wooden chair yep. on a crappy wooden chair and he was um he was uh sort of getting all tight and sore and he wasn't sort of pay- he was not that he wasn't paying attention but it just looked like he was disinterested yep. and they they took him aside afterwards and said your body language was way off mate you you can't be doing this and he's never been he was never invited back now, he's yep. a player of immense talent and potential. And at that point, he had 50 or 60 caps. And he was being pushed out of a leadership meeting because of that. So that just sort of highlights that this sort of um, disorganisation and this not really understanding of the squad and the leadership potential that they had within it that was in uh, in around that English team at the time.
1: And I think also within that point is that Oh, actually, no, I just had a brain fart and I've totally lost the track. Of what I was about to <laughs> <laughs> so you we're, keep going.
0: You keep we're to, yeah, awesome. we're talking about leadership. So I, I definitely think, I, I can't really comment on Stuart Lancaster as a coach and his, his performance and, and how he, he is because I don't remember too much prior to the 2015 World Cup performance of England. But I would definitely say, if we take what Sam Burgess has said at face value and that he, there was this sort of regime from other people and other parties within the camp to undermine Lancaster and get rid of him. That That is what ended up sort of being his downfall. But he yeah. didn't have the support structure in place to overcome that. He didn't have yeah. the players on side and the support of the leadership team to get rid of that. And yeah. something that you can probably, if you listen to Eddie Jones's podcast and if you read his latest book, that is one of the first things that he did when he took on the English rugby team as head coach, mm. when he took over from mm-hmm. Stuart Lancaster is he put together a really strong leadership team and he selected a new captain and he got rid of the old guard and he brought in the new team and yep. he built this culture that effectively carried them through to the 2019 world cup
1: final. Yep. I mean, he brought in Dylan Hartley for the first, it was about 18 months yeah. first 18 or so months of his time as kind of English coach before he then um put Owen Farrell as a coach and and it was only sort of Dylan, in the
0: lead up to the World Cup that Owen Farrell yeah. took over as as captain yeah. and that was because Hartley was uh, had some injuries that he didn't think he was going to carry through to the World
1: Cup yeah and that choice of Dylan Hartley he was um Haskell actually mentions him in a pod saying that he was one of the players who may well have had the force of personality to kind of speak directly to some of the issues that were present, but there just lacked other players who were willing to and or able or had the um, opportunity to actually speak to a lot of the issues that were present. Um, so, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it's insightful, but it almost... It gives us more questions and the thing that annoys me is um Burgess said he's not going to be writing a book about it because that's not his thing that's not what he's <laughs> at all interested in doing and i'm like damn it i want to hear more i want to know more of what went on and hopefully in, um, in saying that james haskell is writing books so yeah but it, it's um this actually come out it's called what a flanker and
0: oh uh, really is it out now
1: yeah it's out. okay and it's more stories of his yeah. about being a rugby player and just some and a of party fun. boy and yeah doing that kind of thing rather than like a a review of his career or anything
0: like yeah, that yeah sure yep. yeah cool one other thing that i found quite interesting looking into um, mike ford and george ford is they're very tightly linked those two guys i know they're father and son but um, george well, Mike started coaching at Bath, and he brought George in and and brought him through. But then yeah. after two thousand and fifteen, when um, George Ford signed with Leicester, he then was brought on as coach. So they've been following each other around, and this is two two teams now that they've both been working professionally together as as father and son. It's yeah. quite interesting. I mean, you've also got the yeah. Owen and the Andy <laughs> Farrell relationship as well.
1: Have you seen all the memes and all the jokes about the two of them?
0: I've seen the like the latest ones around um Andy Farrell being coach of
1: Ireland yeah um basically, I just love it because they all all there's there's this ongoing joke about the Farrells that Owen is forever striving to get the approval and attention of his dad. Oh, right. <laughs> and so at so many opportunities, like there's this one kind of photo shoot or season launch or something like that where that Andy Farrell is going launch? on and shaking. Yeah, maybe it's the Six Nations captains. Um, yeah. he sh- Andy Farrell shakes the hand of every captain of each nation until he gets to Owen and then just doesn't shake his hand and walks past him. it's like such a massive cut or at the very least it appears to be that I don't know what their relationship's like but it just can you imagine that though how weird would that be
0: being the captain of your nation and your dad is the head coach of one of your rivals
1: yeah yeah or even before that he was a defence coach of England yeah well they um, work together but now yep but that's like Michael
0: Hooper's dad coaching the All
1: Blacks (laughs) true oh that'd be odd hey That'd be odd. Um, Anyway, so we'll keep keep an eye out for that meme. And if any pop up, we'll shove it on our socials. It's a lot of fun, um, especially because Andy Farrell is still a fine specimen of a man (laughs) and cuts a dashing figure in his suits as the island coach. So it's really fun just to kind of feed that little story and joke that's ongoing. (laughs) Any last sort of thoughts or comments around this? interview no i think we blagged on about it enough um it's, it, it was fun it was enjoyable and opened up my eyes to a lot of questions and informed me a bit more about some of the questions i had around the world cup um as an australian rugby supporter it was wonderful to see them lose and wonderful to see them in such disarray but it is just kind of filling in some of the blanks of that whole time and story. How about you?
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about in the last few days since listening to it, there's been a little bit of media around what was said, mm. particularly in the English press. But most of the criticism from it is that it's come from the Fords, and it's just like, oh, well, we, oh, no, we, we didn't say that. And it's just yep. been sort of wiped aside or pushed aside. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything that's anyone's come out massively in support of it to say, "Yeah, this is what happened," or "No, this isn't what happened." So I don't know. It might I be know. a reflection of the
1: culture of rugby union that they're just staying a bit quite um, tight-lipped about it.
0: There definitely seems to be a different culture in English rugby, or there used to be, than mm. there is now in Australian rugby. This kind of thing, I don't
1: think would. Would have happened here as much.
0: I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I
1: don't know. I think um, one of the one of the interesting points of difference was um, in that leadership meeting. You were saying with Haskell, he um, that they spoke to him after, gave him a bit of a grilling about his supposed disinterest uh, in the meeting, and he says in the interview, there was no point in me arguing and no point in me telling him yeah. what actually was going on. So I just said, yeah, okay, and just just walked away. Um, whereas you just feel that in that exact same circumstance, Sam Burgess would have just said exactly what he was thinking and feeling um, and just kind of approached it then and there. And Haskell, in by no means, is a submissive personality. Not at um, all. Um, and But there obviously there was that cultural element to it there where he just, as a born and bred rugby player, rugby union player, just knew it wasn't his place or felt that it wasn't, you just don't complain, you just don't say or speak up for what you're thinking in that moment or feeling in that moment. You just toe the line and keep going. Um, And I wonder if it would, it it would probably be a lot more arguments and be a bit more of a fiery um, dynamic, but maybe having more people willing to voice their opinion and speak their mind like Burgess seemed to be um, would be beneficial.
0: Well, Burgess did say that shortly after he was removed from the leadership group, so yeah. I, I would imagine there might have been some kind of conflict there. Yeah. Some kind of issue. But in saying that, um, in in what you were just saying, I would definitely recommend reading Eddie Jones's book because towards the, the back half of it, when he is England coach, that is one of the things that he does say, that when he first came in as England head coach, you he realise just how regimented the players were and that they were just so used yeah. to, to following procedure and that they were told to what to wear, when to show up, when to train, what to do. And he completely flipped it on, on its head. And he said, I want these guys to be thinking for themselves. And um, there's a few funny stories in the book. I won't go too many details, but one of them was that he would, to sort of decide who his leadership team was going to be, he'd set a meeting. So he'd said to the team, we need to be at this room at eight o'clock on Thursday morning. And then the coaching staff wouldn't show up. And they'd put all these little hidden cameras in the backs of the room And so the players would just show up, and you could tell from the who was sort of had that leadership potential. After twenty or thirty minutes, to step forward and go, "Okay, look, guys, it doesn't look like anyone's coming. What are we going to do with this time?" And he said, initially they would just sort of mill around and talk and look at their phones and chat and that sort of thing. But then after it happened a few times and they'd been together for a few months, you could see that the leaders would come forward and start directing things, and then actually start utilizing that time to do some planning
1: yeah okay cool
0: which is yeah it's really interesting so definitely that's recommend a, having that it's a good cool read trick.
1: how fun is that one <laughs> maybe we'll do a pod on that i oh, know we got rugby signing up next week we, we don't do need to, I was we gonna do, say yeah. we can do a pod on that book but hey anyway um why don't we call it there for this episode mate i think we've covered yes. everything we want to do. we do yeah cool hey. Thank you
0: for joining us for this week. That's the end of another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're going to leave it there for this week. We've got rugby coming back next week. So we've got the New Zealand domestic comp to look forward to. We're not quite sure as of right now how we're going to be able to watch that. But hopefully it gets put up on KO or Fox Sports or some platform. Um, if it's on, we'll be watching it. And we'll definitely dive into those games next week and have some have a chat around uh yeah the the
1: aratora is that (laughs) aratora we'll have to practice for next week we'll get it right we'll get it right we
0: will we will all right well thanks for joining us everyone give us a like or a a share on facebook and on instagram um and we'll catch you next week thanks so much bye see everyone thank you for listening to this week's episode of pick and drive rugby podcast you can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at, at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby, or send us an email at pickandrive rugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.